Wherever you are, whatever you're doing, stay with us as the suns get set to shine. Mary, the guy heard. Here's the jump shot. Comes to Marley. A long three. He got it! He got it! Into Booker. Here's the three. Suzanne! Sir Charles. And he flies in for a wham, bam, slam. Bravo time! Welcome to 7 Seconds or Less, a podcast about the NBA and the Phoenix Suns. My name is Max McCauley, and I am joined, as always, by my co-host. His name is David Nash. David, it's been two weeks. I was terrified that during this time off, the Suns would fall off and leave us with a depressing podcast, but uh, quite the opposite has happened. We're back, Max. Uh, We're back physically with the podcast, and the Suns, (laughs) at least for now, appear to be back in... Uh, yeah, as you said, not failing us just yet. So uh, I'm pretty excited to get stuck into this one after our little break, to be honest, which straight off the top, congrats again while we're on the line with each other on the recent wedding. And uh, yeah, the Suns have given us some stuff to talk about after our little break here, Max. Thank you so much. And also thank you for getting me a wedding present. You and your wife, amazing. If you don't follow me on Twitter, you didn't see this, but uh David and his wife were so kind as to do that. It was amazing. Uh, David, what a podcast host and a great friend. <laughs> Shouts to Scott Howard for the assist on that one as well, if he's listening. That's uh, funny. I assume the address? Yep. Makes sense. All right, but for this episode, which we're both extremely excited for, we're going to start off with our new player leaderboard segment for the past three games. Yep. Then we're going to move into a full recap of those games and kind of the rest of the season so far. Uh, by breaking down each player on the roster in their order based on the combined leaderboard so far that the listeners have so kindly voted on mm-hmm. and that you, David, have so kindly put together. Uh, it's been a lot more work than we initially planned, but everyone has been playing along mm. uh, and DMing the pod account directly, which I should just take the opportunity now to thank them for doing that. And if anyone else wants to jump on board, that's how we're taking submissions from now, just so they're all at least in one place for me, Max. Make it easy for David. He works hard. Have you seen the seven plays or less segments? This guy works all the time. He's like on the team. <laughs> All right, and then we'll get into the West playoff race, which, David, I'm hoping I'm not jinxing it, but may become a recurring segment on this podcast. Yeah, we we always get afraid of doing these things and then falling away from them because the Suns screw us up. But uh, at least for now, and uh, at least the next little while we're we're ahead of 500, I should say, Max, uh, I think it's going to be in the episodes. Yep, and as we'll get into, uh, I have a strong feeling I'm starting to get confident we're going to stick in it at least uh, somewhat close. But uh, before we get into all that stuff, David, how about a recap? Yeah, so the Suns, as we said, are 7-4, and four Max, after 11 games. So a quick recap on the week that we missed, which was essentially week three. There was a 114-105 to 105 win over Memphis, uh, a 114 again to 109 win over Philadelphia. Might be the best game of the season so far. Mm. And a 108-124 to 124 loss to Miami that we missed 
uh, in week three there. But this week, being week four, was a 138 over 112 win over Brooklyn, where Booker had 27 and 9, Rubio had 22 and 12, and Ubre had 18. Then we had the 115 to 123 loss to the Lakers, Max. Booker had 21 and 9 again, Rubio had 21 and 10, Baines had 20 and 6. And then the last game uh, that will come up a lot, I'm sure, in this 128-112 win over Atlanta. Ubre bounced back with 30. Booker had 27. And my guy, Dario Saric, had 23 max. And that leaves us second in our division, fifth in the conference, and 10th in the entire NBA. But Max, as you said, we've got some leaderboard votes to kind of go through here so should we go to that straight away it's just amazing to listen to you uh rattle off those positions in our division conference and league as compared to last year where it was always the most depressing part of the whole podcast speaking of things that we started doing and wanted to get away from that was uh yeah Yeah. pretty depressing last year where it's a you can hear the fun in my voice as i read those ones out i'm sure yeah absolutely but yeah let's go ahead and get to the leaderboard for this week we'll do it pretty quickly since we're going to spend a lot of time on all the players uh for the rest of the podcast um, I don't know about you, David, but I thought this was the easiest one for the five-star vote, but the hardest one for basically the rest of it. Yep. Uh, I have Devin Booker as five stars this week. David. I do too. He shot 56% from the field and 50% from three in the three games against Brooklyn, LA, and Atlanta this week. And he has my five stars too. I don't think we need to fight too much on that one, Max. Nope. Uh, not really. Just the only thing I'll say for the rest of it is that he was really the only player who was consistently really, really good throughout. Um, the rest of the players had blemishes. And so we'll get into where we have them ranked. I'll start uh, at four stars, David. This is really hard. I had Ricky Rubio just because of how damn good he was against Brooklyn. Uh, he looked like Steve Nash. Yep, and I do not disagree. 16.3 points, 10 assists for the week. Shot 47% from the field and 40% from three, which went a long way to uh, those Nash comparisons because yeah. <laughs> it certainly helps when he's making his three shots, even though it def- definitely doesn't look anywhere near as pretty as Steve Nash did from out there. But uh, no disagreement with you so far here, Max. Three stars for me. Uh, this is a tough one because I think the next guy had more outstanding moments. But uh, Aaron Baines was fairly consistent. The game against Atlanta, he was a little off on offense, but he still contributed. So I have him as the three-star player. I'm not going to give anything away just yet, Max, but I agree that it was very hard this week. I went three votes, Dario Saric. Mm. 17.7 points for the week, 5.7 rebounds, two assists, He shot 61% from the floor and 56% from three this week, Max. And that is enough for me to give him three votes. He's my two-star player. Uh, I thought he was very, very, very good. A couple, you know, he has his moments. And I think Suns fans have started to jump on him as we'll get to when we talk about him later. But, I mean, this is definitely his best week of the season. I think he deserves it. Yep. Uh, Two votes for me, Frank Kaminsky. Uh, I thought he was sneakily good this week. Uh, Speaking of bouncing back on percentages, he shot 42% from three this week. And those two guys together, uh, which I'm sure some people listening have seen, I highlighted them from the Atlanta game. I just thought they were the story of the week that when the team really needed them, both Saric and Frank stepped up and and hit shots. So I'm giving him the two votes this week, Max. Yeah, that's part of why this week was so hard because Frank's an honorable mention for me, but I really wanted to have him uh, with a star. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's just, he was pretty bad in the Nets game. Really bad, actually, which is kind of why I sunk him a little bit, but he definitely stepped up 
over the last two games. And uh, as I tweeted, I think, uh, it makes us feel a little better about how he maybe weathered the eight in the stretch. Mm-hmm. But uh, I'll get to my next one. It's Ubre. Uh, he had a disaster game against LA, obviously, but just the way he bounced back, incredible. He was just so good uh, against the Hawks last night. So I, I stuck him in there. Yep. I've got him for one as well. Uh, my note here is one bad game, one good game, and one okay game. And for me, that is enough for the one vote this week, which, as I alluded to before, means that it's a very tough week and I couldn't squeeze in Aaron Baines or Cam Johnson, who I would consider both to be very unlucky because if it was any other week, uh, probably week three, for instance, where one star was quite hard to find, uh, those guys definitely would have found votes for the week, but uh, going two and one, suppose it was uh, hard to squeeze everyone in, Max. I just hope I have a podcast co-host next week and the Australian government is arrested for treason. <laughs> uh, that's, that's all I'm worried about right now. Cam Johnson has an honorable mention as well. Cam was awesome. Uh, if this is sort of him trending towards like what he's going to be for the season, that's extremely exciting. Mm-hmm. Uh, not only can the dude shoot, David, as you pointed out on this podcast and on Twitter, he can do other things too. He is a, a kind of a rookie unlike we've had recently because he's actually competent, David. Yep, we're, we're seeing the fruits of, of the way that James Jones thinks about these guys. He wanted guys that could contribute right away, had an NBA-ready skill, and that don't hurt you trying to do other things on the court. And that's the biggest compliment that I can give Cam right now is his NBA-ready skill, even though there was a worrying game here or there early on, has basically translated straight away, which I'm sure we'll get to in a bit. But uh, he doesn't hurt you. He kind of moves the ball, plays that .5 offense, doesn't make mistakes, and hasn't looked like a liability, at least so far, on defense either. Um, But again, more on that, I'm sure, a little bit later, Max. I'll uh, give you the full rundown of the leaderboard, which will give us uh, the, I guess, structure to continue the episode if you're ready for that now. Let's do it. All right. So just running over week three quickly, uh, Booker, Baines, Rubio, Tyler, and Ubre were both in our five votes. We just flipped Ubre and Tyler around. And that was pretty similar to everyone that submitted votes for that week as well. Uh, so before our week four votes go in and everyone starts sending us theirs as well, Max, we have Devin Booker atop at 322. Aaron Baines in second, a clear 80 votes behind that top guy. Uh, He's pretty clear, though, at the moment, at least, of Kelly Oubre at 166 and Ricky Rubio at 160. Then we've got Javon Carter, Frank Kaminsky, Tyler Johnson, Dario Saric, Mikhail Bridges, and a couple of people actually gave uh, Cam Johnson one vote last week, probably for showing some of these flashes that we're talking about. So that's all the guys with votes so far. Essentially makes up the rotation and the way that we'll go through in order from here, Max. But I have one question for you first. Now that I've left Baines out of my week four votes here, fast forward to the end of the season, Booker's on top of the leaderboard. Who right now is going to finish second in your mind, Max? It's a great question. I think the safe answer is probably Kelly Oubre. Mm-hmm. Um, or, you know, Rubio could too, though. They're Like you said, they're pretty close to the leaderboard right now, and, and he's been great. Um, but I think when when Aiton comes back, we'll get into this a little bit in the Baines section. When Aiton comes back, he's going to just naturally take away some of what Baines is doing production-wise, maybe not effectiveness-wise. 100%. Uh, so I think it's probably Oubre is the, kind of the more consistent player. Uh, than the other. What do you think? I'm going to go Rubio. Okay. I, and we'll get into it very quickly. I think uh, 
we're really seeing some encouraging things from him and he's he's the engine that makes this team go. So that would be my guess, but I very much agree with your uh, vote-stealing point in, in regards to Aiton and Baines uh, once he's back, Max. Well, there's no doubt who's going to be number one and knock on every piece of wood, no injury. <laughs> there's no doubt who's going to be number one. That is Devin Booker. David, I want to start off with a, an awesome treat with some stats for you and then I'm going to ask you a question, okay? Yep. Cody James Hunt. Uh, at Cody Hunt, great follow on Twitter, follow him. Uh, he posted a tweet, I don't know if you saw it, but he asked, uh, or he, he put uh, the leader in three stats. So I'm going to, I hope you didn't see it because I'm going to ask you some questions about it. Okay. Uh, who do you think the NBA leader in free throw percentage is for players with at least 50 free throw attempts? Uh, I think you're leading me into this very nicely like I don't do with you in Did You Know. I would say it's <laughs> Devin Booker. Devin Booker at 94.3%. David, who do you think the NBA leader in three-point percentage is with at least 50 three-point attempts? Uh, Devin Booker. Devin Booker at 50%. Who do you think the NBA leader in true shooting percentage is for players with at least 150 field goal attempts? Well, I had the free throw and the three-point percentages down in front of me. I don't have true (laughs) shooting. However, I'm going to go out on a limb and say Devin Booker. It is 66.3% for Devin Booker, which is astronomical. And we're now at 11 11 games, so this is a real sample. Uh, So my question for you, David, I didn't mention field goal. It's at Mm 53.7. Can Devin Booker join the 50-40-90 club this season? It's looking pretty good. I had the specifically had the ninety four percent down because that's really impressive. He's not getting to the mm-hmm. line quite as much, but he is certainly converting there, which you just love to see. I think that will stay. He's definitely given himself a pretty good head start, even to dip a little bit and stay above ninety percent. Um, oh, fifty three for field goal. He's gonna have a slump at some point from three, but again, he's given himself a really nice head start there. Uh, I'm going to go for it. I'm going to go Devin Booker 50-40-90, particularly because, you know, one point that I wanted to make here is there's a far uh, less burdensome load on him right now. It's probably only the Philly game is the one where he really put the team on his back or had to put the team on his back, Max. So, yeah, I'm going to go for it. I I reckon it's possible just because there's uh, a bunch of guys that are helping him out and then a big seven-foot-one guy from the Bahamas who is about to come back at some point too, Max. Yeah, the concern, I guess, would be if, if guys start to go down with injury around him and he needs to start forcing it a little bit more. Yeah. Maybe, yeah. but I, man, I guess the 50% field goals is going to be the hardest part of it, particularly if he starts shooting more threes, which I think he probably should. Yeah. What do you think, David? This is, this is something that, uh, it, it, I think it's something that uh, Suns fans kind of argue over, you know, whether Booker should shoot more or whether they like him kind of being the distributor guy because he's, he sort of varied back and forth this season. He's certainly been more of the uh, you know get the team involved guy. In yeah. fact, I think you pointed out uh, again last night against Atlanta when he passed out. Oh, oh man! Of that easy shot in the first quarter to get it out to I, I don't remember who it was Baines I think, but it was it was not good. He shouldn't be doing that. But you know sometimes you want to have guys early in the season, especially overpass, just to get the culture set. But but anyway, so back back to the question. What do you think? Where do you think Booker's headed this season? What, what should we expect to see him? You know, in terms of his play style going forward. I really like the eleven games we've seen so far. You know, I'm I'm happy. I think mm-hmm. every game the chemistry between him and Ricky is looking better and better. Even though I still think you know splitting them up a little bit and and leaning into the point book every now and then is still a great thing. Yep. Something that's going to come up a little bit later as well is you know point book with some really fun, interesting wing and in Aiton lineups as well, Max, which I I definitely don't want to move entirely away from. But, you know, I've got to give a shout out to Monty here now that you're giving me a chance to, um, before we, we, 
get into some other stuff and I forget because I think the the combination right now is really really good you know I highlighted earlier this week they're getting him a lot of cheap buckets underneath the rim sealing his man off and you know there's passes galore on this team now that can actually make an entry pass max believe it or not Mm -hmm. um so you know I'm good with it because you know the the balance is really good his efficiency is off the charts right now and you have to say that that's got something to do with the way that they're playing him getting him some early looks getting him some open threes uh and I can't nitpick too much at the difference between how they're kind of doing things right now, Max. What about you? What do you think? No, I'm with you. And I'm glad you mentioned the shots at the rim. He went from 27% at the rim last year frequency to 38% of his shots are at the rim. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it, it's just so beautiful the way he's cutting to the rim. He's really good at it, David. I think that's one thing that got kind of lost with his game because, you know, obviously he had bad players around him who couldn't find him on cuts. Yeah. But the guy gets to the basket and cuts really, really well. It happens, you know, two or three times a game. Easy buckets. Part of the reason why his efficiency is so good, as you said, and why maybe he can actually reach that 50% field goal number throughout the entire season. But I think here's what I want to see more from Booker. It's not so much more, uh, I guess, you know, volume shooting. It's more getting to the line. Uh, he did it a lot in the Atlanta game towards the end of the second quarter when we really needed him to. When we, you know, I think it was like tied with two minutes to go in the, in the second quarter, and he got to the line twice just doing Devin Booker stuff. Yeah, getting the calls again uh, that the refs gave him. He was getting kind of superstar calls. They were, you know, kind of going both ways, kind of calls. Yeah, the call he didn't get at the end of the Lakers game, which may show you the difference in how you get calls against certain teams. <laughs> but uh, no, I, I'm with you. I think that I, I don't really understand the criticism of Devin Booker so far. Like, what do you want the guy to do when he when he's shooting a lot? People get mad at him for that. When he's doing what he's doing now, people get mad at him for not shooting. I kind of just think he's playing well, David. And uh, the stats uh, kind of bear that out. I want to run down real quick something from cleaning the glass mm-hmm. uh, in terms of uh, what Phoenix's offense looks like with him on and with him off. Phoenix offense, and this is points per 100 possessions, it's 20 points better with him on. <laughs> that is 100th percentile in the league, David. He is the best. Doesn't get any better than that. It does not. Uh, the other starters are also good, but not nearly as good as that. And it's not like this is a you know a mediocre offense that that Booker's bringing up. This is the third best offense overall according to Cleaning the Glass. And with Booker on, it's 100 percentile, 20 points better. Uh, so really, what Devin Booker's doing this season so far, still not a huge sample. It's it is certainly All Star worthy, David. Do you think it's all NBA worthy? I had the exact same question for you. Before I run into that, I will just mention. Yep. I reckon a bit of a conversation maybe went on about drawing fouls and not putting himself in situations to get hurt maybe in the Mm. off season. Mm -hmm. Uh, I think, you know, we've talked long and hard about it on this podcast that he's prone to little ticky tack injuries and, and our most important player that we can't afford to go down. And I just think we're seeing a lot less of that full steam ahead, trying to draw fouls, you know, on the break. Uh, And we're seeing a lot more of what I mentioned before, you know, seals in the post, Parts where, you know, if you get fouled, it's it's unlikely going to hurt you because you're not going full steam ahead. And most of the time, as we're seeing, he's actually not drawing a lot of fouls on those post-up situations because it's not worth fouling him because he's already got you in jail yep. uh, and you're just going to probably give up an and one. You know, you want to talk about the difference between you know, Booker and, and Mitchell and, and how Rubio's played with them both. You mentioned it before. Booker's six foot six. Mitchell, I believe, in the official standings, came out at six foot one without shoes. 
Booker and Rubio have got a connection already getting Booker the ball in the post, which, as you said, he is very fucking good at, mm-hmm. and they need to use that more and more. And I think it's good for his health, and I just wanted to make that point. They're getting him more cheap points, uh, which is not only helping the efficiency, but I think it's helping his overall health as well. But to go back to the All-Star, we discussed it preseason. We thought it was really opening up for him to be an All-Star. I think right now he's a lock. As far as All-NBA goes, you know, gets a little bit harder because of the restrictions around positions and uh, talking about both sides. But, you know, you got to say right now, and, you know, we all know the people that vote on these love winning. Yep. So if the Suns are, uh, have a similar record to what they do right now at the end of the year, uh, he's going to be in the conversation. I, I don't know because of the way they vote and who votes on this, whether he gets in. But starting with an all-star nod and, and putting him in that conversation, uh, I think he's going to be up there if this trend continues, Max. Agree. If the Suns make the playoffs, I think that he is going to be third-team All-NBA, which would just be awesome. Like, have his first all-star season also be an All-NBA season would just be great. It would be so validating for him. And, and that's really – and also one last thing I want to touch on Booker unless you got more on him. I love his attitude about all this so far, particularly when he's been asked about the MVP chance. Mm-hmm. He's basically just been saying, like, listen, I don't care about any of that fan. It's fun. Fans getting ahead of themselves. I'm just happy to finally be you know, bringing these people winning basketball for once and just not, like, gutter basketball. Yep. Uh, it, it's the perfect attitude. You, you can't be satisfied with where you're at. He clearly isn't. He's clearly, you know, happy with where he's at. He's clearly happy to be playing winning basketball and having the fans cheer like that for him but you know it's not it's not the focus of his of his game i think none of them feel like that is i think they're all and this is more of a money point maybe than a booker point but man he has all these guys focused on the exact same goal and it's just it's really nice to see that david because we were seeing the exact opposite over the past couple of seasons yeah shout out to monty again and i agree you know we saw that he hated losing in the, in the really bad seasons, first seasons of Booker's career. Mm-hmm. And he said all the right things, to be honest, around that, you know, that he just wanted to win, but no one really believed him because he was putting up, you know, empty stats. And when you're losing, no one's really paying attention to the quotes or the things that you're saying in the media. All of a sudden, they're winning and he's saying uh, the same or ringing the same tune again in terms of saying he doesn't really give a shit. He just cares that they're winning at the moment. And you got to believe that. Before we move on, I'd probably, if I'm going to nitpick, four turnovers a game, Max. Yes. And that, that's very much because he's had one of seven, a six, and two fives. I think overall, uh, it's not bad, but uh, you throw in a couple of bad games, and that's, you know, particularly on a small sample size, that's what throws it right up to, to four turnovers a game at the moment. Uh, just something to watch. Yeah, there were a few cheapies, especially last night, and there have been a, a few throughout the season. He's got to cut some of that out, especially since it's just so unnecessary with this team. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know what? Uh, it's a small nitpick to make. Uh, I'm sure he'll improve it because he's improving everything else. Uh, <laughs> we didn't even t- talk about the defense, David. We should probably just briefly mention that he's been way better on defense. Yeah, I just like that he's fighting through. You know, he's breaking up some actions, blowing some things up by fighting over screens, uh, not getting cut backdoor as much. Maybe it helps that the Suns are, are cutting other teams backdoor yep. much more, which kind of at least makes it appear to be uh, a lot less than what it used to be. Um, so yeah, that's uh, to end on a positive. I think it's it's been overall good on that end for Devin Booker. He's answered all the questions about whether or not he's like impossible to play in the playoffs. Like he, this guy can play in the playoffs for sure. There's no doubt. Yeah, all, all the things that we kind of knew and spoke about on the podcast, but we're like, we just need to see it. Uh, they're all coming to fruition right now. It's nice to see, isn't it? Yep. Uh, all right, Aaron Baines is next. He's been a revelation this season. Uh, David, the first thing I want to start with, maybe off the board a little bit, 
the shooting is for good reason, getting a ton of play because it's been ridiculous. Although he didn't shoot so well last night. Yeah. Uh, but the passing, David, I'm so interested in the passing. He's really high, like top 80 percentiles among bigs in the assists yep. right now. And it's just, it's kind of, I didn't know he could pass like this, David. Is this something that he has shown in international ball or is it just kind of a revelation this season? Yeah, I've got to shout out uh, my, my national team here. I think he's got 2.9 assists per game at the moment, as you said. Mm. Uh, this is kind of the way that the Boomers play, Max. Um, mm. you, if you think about Australian teams, if anyone watched the World Cup, or you know, it's pretty much been the same team for the last 10 years. So if you've caught them at any point at Olympics or major tournament recently, uh, Paddy Mills is one of our point guards. Matthew Dellavedova is the other. Paddy Mills is essentially a shooting guard. He's not a point guard. Mm-hmm. Matthew Dellavedova is a defense first, not a great facilitator. So the way that they uh, counter that is that they play ball very similar to what the Suns are playing right now. They move the ball. Everyone can pass. Everyone can move. They go off cuts. They run action for Paddy Mills as more of a play finisher than a play setter-upper. Uh, and that's what we see from our bigs. Andrew Bogut was one of them. Aaron Baines is certainly able to do it as well. And it's been really nice for that to flash for him. Uh, and I'm glad that you brought it up in conjunction with the shooting being outrageous because I think we saw in the Atlanta game teams again start adjusting. They're playing mm-hmm. right up on him on the three-point line, uh, and that's going to open up the lanes. He's a great screener, can roll to the basket, doesn't have the best hands in the world, as we've mentioned before, uh, but the passing game will open up as well if they play right up on him. There's a beautiful one to, to Dario against Atlanta from Baines, uh, coming off uh, around a, a Booker screen, actually, down on the post, which is a nice uh, little wrinkle on what we are talking about before with what they're doing with Booker in the post. So, yeah, great point by you. Uh, great observation, because I think uh, we're going to see that a little bit more as teams start to play up on him on the three-point line. I want to get into the defense a little bit here, because I think the defensive stuff from Baines has been... He's been really good like for, for Aaron Baines and for compared to the rest of our team. Yeah. Interestingly, the, the the kind of the advanced stats and the on-off stuff's not very good with him. I think it's probably with who he's playing with, but also because he's fouling a ton. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think he's always going to foul a ton because of who he is. Agreed. Our offensive rebounding is also very bad. I don't know if that's because of him, but overall, I think that's just kind of the case. Right now, we're the ninth-ranked defense. I don't think that's probably where we are. David, I want to ask you, uh, where do you think we are defensively, especially after, and, and, you know, focused on Baines, especially after the last two games where we kind of got exposed a bit on the interior, at least in my opinion? Yeah, I think the scouting report on all sides of the ball is, is going to come up more and teams are going to start uh, attacking what it, you know, was essentially an oversimplification of the defense, particularly with Aiton going out on the fly and, and having to adjust. You're right, Baines isn't the greatest defender. He's a pretty good team defender, uh, as is Dario, and those two as you kind of big men is, is working somewhat. Uh, yeah, only 0.8 blocks a game, so he's not a great rim protector. Uh, copping a lot of heat at the moment for his charges drawn, which he's probably averaging more of those than he is blocks per game. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, I kind of look at that. I'm not going to go on a diatribe about that too much, but if teams and, and general NBA fans are complaining about that kind of stuff, you, you're kind of at least letting the world know that you're going to play defense. Uh, and if you're frustrating a few people along the way, then so be it. But yeah, it, a ton of fouls. You know, there was one against Alex Len last night where he's essentially on the ground and just, oh, yeah. <laughs> you know, dived off the floor to foul him. He knew it was going to be a foul. Like, that's why, you know, he gets four, five, sometimes six fouls a game because he's just happy to take those. But uh, yeah, I think 
Overall, I think I said on the first episode, only a few uh, games into the season, I think we'll slowly keep creeping down, but I wouldn't be surprised if we're still, you know, league average or just above, uh, you know, halfway through the season, Matt. Yeah, I agree with you, and largely because they just give a shit, which is really important on defense. They're all in the right spots, they're all trying really hard, and that's enough to kind of get you in the middle of the pack, unless you just have no confidence whatsoever, which the Suns kind of do, because they have, you know, the whole Mikel, Oubre, long wing thing. They're not terrible, Rubio's decent. They're not the worst defensive team in the world, they're not just a naturally good one. Yeah. But one thing I want to ask you about, uh, and I alluded to it a little bit the past two games, um, over, you know, the Suns getting exposed on the interior a little bit by the Lakers, and then, more concerningly, in my opinion, by the Hawks. <laughs> so, Aiton's going to come back eventually, David. I don't know if you forgot. <laughs> Sometimes I do. <laughs> not going to lie. And Aiton's not necessarily known for his defense, but I kind of feel like he would be really useful in those situations just to be, you know, a seven-foot-tall guy with a seven-foot-five wingspan standing there. I, there's, there's a certain amount of athleticism among certain bigs that just... You know, Kaminsky and Baines just can't really stay with, and, and obviously Dario as well, that, you know, even though Aiton's recognition can be bad at times, at least he can kind of be there. What do you think about that? Yeah, I think, you know, credit to Trey for what he did last night because he's just yeah. a brilliant, brilliant point guard, and that's going to happen to even good defenses sometimes. But, yeah, I think Aiton, much better leaper than Baines, a lot longer than Baines. So there definitely would have been a couple of those plays where Aiton can go into drop coverage uh, but still be fast twitchy enough to to react and either uh, deflect the the alley oop or uh, you know get enough in front of of Trey that he just doesn't even bother to throw it. I think they really picked on Baines. He you know he I've said it a couple of times. He can't jump. So if you <laughs> if you get him on his back heels and he's retreating, then you've you've kind of got him cold, and that's kind of what they picked on a little bit there. So yeah, I think from that perspective, Aiton in those situations is going to be huge. What the Lakers did to us just in terms terms of having another low post presence I think Aiton's going to be huge and I don't know it's probably another good segue here Max do we dare talk about I guess what happens to the rotation when Aiton comes back which is a can be a touchy subject uh, that both of us get criticized for us a little bit but I've got a feeling particularly the last couple of games we're probably going to be pretty positive on this question yeah I'm getting more and more confident about this just because I'm getting more and more confident in Monty Williams Mm -hmm. I think that the dude is really finding ways for everybody on the team to contribute in certain roles and I think that you know the Sacramento game obviously was extremely good and so if he plays like that it won't be very hard but assuming that Aiton isn't quite that level of a player when he comes back, which I think is probably a fair assumption because if he is, that'd be insane. Yeah, uh, I think Monty's going to find a role for him. I think he's at least going to be able to, uh, you know, uh, you know, emphasize the things that Aiton does well while sort of hiding things he doesn't go as well. As far as where he's going to be in the rotation, I, I think it's going to be interesting. If Baines, if Baines is still shooting like you know high forties from three and playing quite as well as he is now, I just I think it's hard to start Aiton immediately. I think Aiton, it's clear that Aiton's going to be a starter, and I think that the way they sell it is we're we're you know just to integrate him back in. We're we're bringing him off the bench, but we're gonna he's gonna be the starter. Yeah, like that's clear. I think that's maybe the way they do it because it's gonna be it's gonna be a bit of a shell shock when Aiton gets brought back just because he's such a different player. Than Aaron Baines right now. Um, although David, I would say this would be a good time for Aiton's uh, maybe being able to shoot three pointers to show itself a little bit. <laughs> yeah, I, I certainly hope that he's been practicing those so he can at least let it fly if he's he's wide open. But you know, we said after one game they had to completely change, and that must have been a huge shock to 
everything that they'd planned in training camp. And then think about that from what you're saying now, 25 games of Mm. really solid basketball and the guys all being used to playing one way, all of a sudden you're going to flick the switch and go back the other way. And I just think that's why all fans, Aiton fans, people that aren't fans of Aiton, you know, I just think what you said makes a lot of sense. You know, bringing him back in slowly, uh, I think, They've done a really good job. They know how to deal with people in locker rooms. We've already seen that with the Javon Carter situation, which we might get to a bit later. Mm -hmm. Uh, So, yeah, they'll do it the right way. They'll put the PR out that, of course, he's going to start longer term, but they've just decided for all things, his fitness, the team, everything, chemistry right now, this is the way that they're going to do it. I wouldn't be surprised if that's what happens. And then we eventually see it the other way. But also got reminded during the week, can't remember by who, um, I wish I could give him a shout out, but you know Jones's comments uh, at Summer League around having guys to put pressure on DeAndre Ayton if he's not playing well and maybe he'll sit some nights out. And you know even if he does start, that's what's going to happen, particularly this season, because we know that there's a guy there that can come straight in and play 20, 25 minutes. And that's going to be a huge you know light under Ayton's ass, so to speak, in terms of playing hard every single minute uh, or else he won't get the minutes. Yeah, no doubt. I actually think, and I've, I've been brewing this take in my head, I haven't said it yet, I think there's a chance that this 25-game suspension is like one of the best things that could have possibly happened to Aiton, because he saw what this team was, is without him, Yep. and if he comes back and he's not, and he's the reason why it's not doing what it's still doing right now, I, you got to look in the mirror a little bit, right? Yep. I, I, there's no way you can't, so I think it's just going to be, and hopefully, obviously, hopefully he just comes back and, and you know it's seamless, he comes right in, they're awesome, it's fine. But I think that this is nice, you know, it's going to be something they can point to for him as, you know, with like most 20-year-old men, uh, they need kind of demonstration sometimes because everyone thinks they're invincible and awesome when they're 20. Yeah. That maybe you're not as invincible as awesome as you think you are. And here's some demonstration of how good it can be uh, on this team. So, you know, fit into this. You can make this that much better. You're the key to making this team not just a borderline playoff team, but like a you know a solid playoff team, or even in a couple of years a contender. Yeah. So you know you know sink all that in. Maybe this could be the best thing that could possibly happen to him. Yeah, I agree. I haven't wanted to emphasize it too much, but you know make too much of a big deal of it. But I, I do believe it. It's somewhat career defining, purely on the the takes and decisions that have already been made by both sides on DeAndre Ayton. I think we'll see very clearly which direction it's going to go from him uh, after this little break. Before we move on to Ricky Rubio, it's a a shame Baines is shooting 72% uh, from the free throw line or else we might be having the same (laughs) 50-40-90 discussion about him, Max. But uh, speaking of somewhat surprising percentages, maybe we should talk about Ricky Rubio next. I think we're a little out of order, which is fine. Uh, Doesn't Uber have more votes or am I wrong? Oh, you are totally right. Let's go with let's go with Kelly Ubre, who's currently six votes ahead of Ricky Rubio in third place on our leaderboard, Max. This is the first time a Suns fan has ever ignored uh, Kelly Ubre. <laughs> <laughs> So I want to start on Ubre, just kind of how important he's been to the team overall. Um, he is actually leading the team on cleaning the glass in terms of overall differential on off. Wow! You can find offense and defense. He's ninety second percentile in the league right now, in that, um, which I think says a lot about just kind of what he's bringing to the floor, uh, both in bench units and to the starting unit. Because obviously the starting unit is going to be inflated by all of them being good. Yeah. Um, I think the bench unit's bad without him. I guess is what I'm trying to say because <laughs> yep. it's just they don't have an engine, and I think that you know I, you and I have made that point multiple times. They need that engine from him, and and David he absolutely is living up to that description. 
hundred percent. I think, you know, I had the question here. We don't necessarily need to go as a question because you've already alluded to it. There's still, you know, right now I'll put it this way. They need him in the starting lineup because I think of what he brings and, and what weapons or lack of weapons they have in the starting lineup. Yep. But we're seeing more and more evidence of the thing that we always used to say about TJ Warren, and that's that he's probably eventually going to be much better as a sixth man uh, that can run everything through him. Uh, I'm loving the shot chart at the moment. If you go and look at it, there's only four shots taken outside the paint uh, and not behind the three-point line. So for all the dud games that he's had, specifically the Lakers one and and probably the Utah one, which were both losses, uh, he's playing exactly how we want him to. Uh, 1.6 assists to 1.6 turnovers, so evens out. Don't love that, but as long as they're both low, it's it's kind of okay, Max, because he's not hurting you. And he's the heart and soul of the team. You know, we're seeing it every night. Mm-hmm. Uh, the way he bounced back from LA uh, to the last game against Atlanta is just the biggest sign um, that he is all heart and someone that you can really count on other than he's going to have a dud game every now and then, but who doesn't? in the NBA and the fact that he came back and also again, another shout out to Monty, the fact that he kind of recognized that dud game and only played him 19 minutes and didn't finish with him in that one. Uh, another massive tick for Monty just moving on the fly max. Yeah. Monty's very good, but uh, I do want to uh, just emphasize what you said, because I think it was probably my second favorite game by anybody this season behind Booker and Philly or playing mm-hmm. Philly. Mm-hmm. Uh, the way he bounced back from that, that LA game was in. It was terrible, dude. Like, not only was he missing shots, like I didn't watch it live. I actually just saw the box score. I was like, "Ooh, Uber was bad." Then I watched it the next day, and I was like, "Oh my god, Uber was bad." <laughs> like he was the th- the three point shots he was missing were like they were not close. Yeah, it was like a, it was a nightmare game. And the fact that he came back and played that way, uh, just the game after, it just shows you who he is and how. And I, and I said this, I think on on Twitter or something, but. Uh, he's going to have bad games sometimes, like you said, most players do, but he's never going to have a game where he doesn't bring his energy to the game, ever. It's never going to happen. And a guy like that across an 82-game season is just so valuable. He's more valuable than any of his stats are. He's more valuable than any of his individual games are because it, it inspires the rest of the team. It, it makes everybody else bring their energy around him. You can hear his teammates talk about him. They all freaking love him. He's you know the guy who stamped on the Valley Boys. He's all that stuff. He's everything, David. I could not be happier with Kelly Oubre right now. Yep, and if he keeps playing the way that he is, as you said, and that shot chart keeps looking that way, even with some slumps, you know, the fact that he's taking it to the hole, I think he's Mm -hmm. our most confident player at the moment at going through those creases in the defense and, and attacking. Has some really sneaky you know, sneak up on you type dunk sometimes. Uh, and the the right hand that he's added in the offseason has really helped him with finishing around the rim uh, and, and finishing off some of his good work. So, yeah, I think um, all credit to him. He's uh, 16.9 points per game at the moment, uh, a massive reason why this team is sitting where they currently are and even sits in a lot of those, um, you know, advanced stats groups as you mentioned before uh so if you you bring the heart plus he's also ticking the box of of nerd twitter in terms <laughs> of what he's bringing to the team uh it, it's pretty hard to hate on kelly right now i will say i'm gonna do the only possible hate on kelly i can do right now because i'm with you i'm over the moon with kelly right now i think there's maybe a reason why he was so bad against the lakers and so good against atlanta I think it's going to be harder for him to do what he does against good defenses because a lot of what he relies on is kind of getting to the rim in that way, and a lot of the good teams will close them off on that kind of stuff yep, and yep. force them into worse shots. And his decision-making, 
Uh, of course, Wickers pointed this out on our podcast quite a few times. It's not great. It could use a lot of work, honestly. I think it, there was one shot even last night in his great game where he, he passed up a pretty nice uh, set shot three for a step back three like immediately after. Yep. Uh, he does stuff like that sometimes, and you know you take it because the energy stuff's worth it. Everything else is worth it, but it's something to monitor. I would like to see him really dominate a good defense. That's that's the kind of thing I want to see from him going forward. But you know, if he doesn't, it's fine. Again, his energy across eighty-two games is worth it. Uh, could not be happier with Kelly O'Brien. Yep, it should be no surprise that he seems to, uh, anecdotally, and I think if you look at the numbers, be playing much better when he shares the floor with Ricky Rubio. And how about mm-hmm. that for an assist segue going to our next guy, Max? I loved it, David. Ricky Rubio. <laughs> I want to, because I just spoke, and also because I want you to leave with Ricky Rubio, because I know how much you love him right now. I just love pure point guards, and, and watching Ricky night in, night out, re-watching the games, it's just making me fall in love and, and remember all those things that I, you know, really didn't love since, I guess, Steve Nash was on this team, Max. And he's not Steve Nash by any sense. We're going to see a little probably bit of regression or, you know, he's streaky. You know, he has these moments where he's hitting all of his shots and then uh, probably will have a week where he's just hitting absolutely nothing. And that's why his career percentages are the way that they are. But he's a career-high 37.5% from three right now it helps with the pairing stuff with Devin Booker when he's hitting those shots you know it's a small sample but you add it to the World Cup run and you kind of wonder whether maybe it's getting a little bit better and I've noted a couple of times he's hitting the right one Max like really key moments of games where the defense decides to leave him open which is the right move that's the scouting report but he's hitting those ones and that they're the ones that can become really grating when you're looking back at a loss or something of like a missed shot like that. And, and we're not getting that at the moment. Uh, and 8.7 assists, which is the most since his last year in Minnesota. And I think it's very clear that he's being used by the Phoenix Suns a lot more the way that he was used there with the Wolves than uh, against Utah, Max. And I just love the intangibles as well. The pesky D, you know, the help defense, deflections, the leadership and he just has moments there's moments when a game ends where you remember Ricky Rubio when he's played well and that's what I, I love about it and you know I laughed at the comment at the time Max but James Jones's prime comment about Ricky Rubio just defining the signing you know I know it's only 11 games I know he's got a history of having niggles and things like that but he might have been on the money with that one, Max. Yeah no I totally agree and by the way I don't know what that word you just said was I assume that's Australian slang <laughs> Which one did it? Well, I totally missed it. About his like little minor injuries. Uh, niggles. Yeah, I haven't heard that one before. I just want to clarify what you're saying. Here. <laughs> <laughs> we used to have those all the time. Remember that, that? Speaking of regular things on the podcast, me bringing up Australian terms and and you questioning me on them. Yeah, niggles. It's like you know little injuries for for any of our US listeners uh, like Max who had absolutely no idea what I just said. Just a clarification. Uh, all right, back to Ricky Rubio. I, I mean, listen, it's he's been probably the single biggest change on the team from last year, just having somebody on the floor uh, for 30-plus minutes a game who knows what the hell is going on at all times. Yep. A, tr- a, you know, a floor general is sort of a cliche at this point, but he's kind of the embodiment of what that means. 
You're seeing a lot of guys in the national media now sort of doing uh, mea culpas on the Ricky Rubio signing. <laughs> yes. Uh, Dunk John's done that. The Ringer guys have done that. A bunch of guys have done that. There's, and they say the same thing that we were saying over the summer, which is, yeah, you know, you, you can't really shoot. So for that reason, he's not a good fit with Booker. But, you know, also he's good at basketball as a point guard. So maybe that helps. It's like, <laughs> oh, my God, it's not really that hard. But anyway. Hey, if people, if people are admitting that they're wrong, I'll take it even though we tried to warn them. I totally agree with that. Um, Ricky Rubio, I think that the shooting is probably not as good as it is now, but I think there are some reasons to feel mm-hmm. good about it, at least being better than it has been in the past. And I think you mentioned it with the, the Minnesota thing. It's just nice to have a team that has you know, 100% confidence and faith in you and views you as one of its best players. Uh, basketball is a lot about confidence. You and I are not professional basketball players. I think most of our listeners probably aren't professional basketball players. Yep. Um, but having confidence is a really important thing in, in many walks of life, but especially playing sports. And I think when, you know, that's that's kind of how you're feeling about yourself, it's, it's easier to make shots. I think it probably contributes a lot to Baines being better. It contributes to Frank being better. It contributes to everybody being better. And so I expect to see Rubio uh, better on offense as things keep going. But, you know, as you alluded to also, uh, we're going to have both worlds. We're going to have the streaky Rubio. And last night was an example of that. Uh, he was so good as his floor general assist self. He was not good as a shooter, David. Yeah, and I think I said it last episode, confidence is a hell of a drug. Mm-hmm. Uh, and again, shout out to Jones and Monty. This is what they're doing. Yep. You know, They're instilling confidence with their guys, and it should be no surprise that that's why uh, some of them, at least for right now, uh, are doing career-high things, whether it's Aaron Baines, Ricky Rubio, uh, or even Kelly Oubre there, Max. But... Maybe we'll move on. What do you think? Yeah, let's do it. Does somebody else who maybe had some confidence early in the season, was his confidence saved by Monty Williams? I don't know. It's Javon Carter, David. This is an interesting one because he's fifth on this list, but he's no longer really playing. He played a little bit in garbage time last night. I think Monty just saw that you know the offense wasn't really working with him, despite the fact that he was you know providing the defensive spark plug. Mm-hmm. I don't know, David. What do you think? I actually thought that maybe there was a chance he gets in last night against Trey. You know, the size kind of works, the peskiness kind of works, but didn't happen. How are you feeling about Javon Carter right now? Yeah, that's that's kind of what I thought as well. You know, I've said it. You know, him as a luxury rather than a backup point guard is the perfect role for him and, yep. and maybe that was the game where they could have thrown him in as a luxury because they needed exactly what he brings to the NBA floor but uh, surprising that they didn't uh, but still a huge tick for Monty to uh, essentially cut down his rotation from 10 to 9 he said 10 at the start of the season so again it's him being flexible and not holding himself to silly rules and just realizing what the the best move to make is you know Carter was 1.9 assists to 1.3 turnovers which isn't great uh, the shooting was what was keeping him on the floor. And then kind of as soon as that dropped off, the the lack of playmaking was really highlighted. So uh, I can't say, again, enough about Monty making that decision. Um, you know, and probably while I've got the chance with Monty, we're also eighth in pace and ninth in three-point attempts. Two things that people were worried about, um, probably silly looking back at his New Orleans coaching uh, record and things that he did with them, which was just too far long ago. And we even noted on the pod that he'd been to some much more modern 
uh, teams and franchises since then. And uh, again, he's proving us all wrong. Um, but on Javon Carter, probably the only thing I can really think of right now, I don't want to do too much of a disservice to him, but you know, does this mean that Ty Jerome's going to have to really fight or that there's an open roster spot? Because when Aiton's back, that goes back to that 10-man rotation again. Uh, and minutes are going to be you know, pretty hard to find if they're going to put Tyler Johnson in as the backup point guard, Max. I want to start Ruka with Amani thing because you brought him up. Then I'm going to go on to the Javon Carter thing. Mm-hmm. I think it kind of feels like Monty Williams has has totally let all of the stubbornness that coaches typically have go, and just said, "I'm going to listen to you know the modern stuff. I'm going to listen to all that crap and just just play basketball that way and just do what I'm amazing at, which is being an amazing human and leader, and just doing all that stuff. And it really just feels like he is so adaptable. There's no stubbornness to him at all. He he changes on the dime in all the right ways." I, I agree with you, David. There's really not a bad thing you can say about Monty Williams right now. He's been uh, 10 out of 10 as a coach. I, I love that observation. Purely because, you know, I probably had a dig at him preseason about, you know, talking up his leadership, but, um, you know, being worried about what he might be as a as an on-court and tactical guy. Um, and you're right. He's he's turned the leadership stuff right up to, to 11 on the volume dial, and he's just gone with the really sensible... Um, stuff on the court and um, yeah again can't say enough about the guy so give us your Carter point so Javon Carter I think that we had talked about this a little bit in the offseason they the Suns needed another guard we thought on the roster they didn't really have another depth guard in case of an injury because Mm -hmm. things have been great so far but guys it's very likely that Tyler or Rubio or Booker is going to go down with an injury at some point this season just is yeah and at that point, he's going to be important because the fact that he can actually, you know, reasonably play basketball on an NBA team is something that's nice to have around. It's better than signing a guy from the G League or signing an undrafted free agent in <laughs> Portland. Oh, just, or not, not undrafted, but uh, unsigned free agent. It's better than doing that. It's better than having a guy who's already in your system, already in your locker room and stuff. So the fact that they've developed that very early on could pay dividends later. Uh, I do think Ty Jerome is going to get a chance right away just because Ty Jerome is a little more uh, kind of what this team is, the pass and move and shoot thing. Yeah. Uh, also has some size to be a little bit versatile and the, you know, the whole defense thing. So I, I do think Ty Jerome at least gets a chance at first. We'll see how he plays. I think it'll be good because I'm a homer, but we'll see. Um, but I think Javon Carter has been developed for uh, maybe a future role in case of injury. Uh, anything else on Javon Carter? Do you want to move on to Frank Kaminsky? Let's move on to Frank the Tank. Frank the Tank. So this would have been a very different conversation, David, had we had this podcast last week. My apologies, we couldn't. <laughs> very true. He, in the last two games, has really gotten his confidence back. It looked like for a while there he was all in his own head. Uh, he actually was playing pretty good defense the whole time. He's actually one of the leaders on the team in the defensive on-off stuff, which is interesting. Yep. Um, but his offense had totally gone off the rails. He was missing free throws like badly. That's how you know somebody's in his own head. But it seems like he's gotten back into it now. Uh, the past two games have been very good offensively, including against the Lakers. So, I don't know. Where are you feeling on Frank right now, David? Do you think that you know, what more of what we've seen lately and to begin the season is Frank, or is it more what we saw during that bad stretch? Yeah, great point by you on the, you know, podcasting week to week and how much can change. I think we really saw that with yeah. with what we planned to do last week and, and couldn't quite do one. Uh, and then out the way we feel this week, uh, it's such a window into how things can change very quickly and not to be too tied down in our thoughts. But good to see him bounce back. Uh, the 2.4 assists is the, the good stat for me. You know, he, he had that big game in the preseason, but he also had one... 
uh, in the regular season, six assists. He's got two games with three assists. He's just a classic Jones player. Uh, and I think that it's probably more what we saw in the Atlanta game. Again, confidence, hell of a drug. Mm-hmm. We're, we're going to see good and bad from Frank. Hopefully more good than bad. But with Aiton coming back, you know, I thought about this. It's like, what happens to Frank? You know, I've said for a long time, I think he's more of a five. It's great when the three-point shot's not hitting because he does have moves down on the block and you can kind of run something for him to maybe get fouled and go to the line or or get an easy bucket. I still think that's his position. And probably the, the positive angle to take on that is, uh, you know, if they can use the wings more when Aiton's back, you know, he's only going to play kind of like the Carter situation. He may only play uh, when he's hot and when he's hitting shots and they may not be as reliant on him uh, when uh, DeAndre Ayton comes back which was probably the plan all along and he's had to play a hell of a lot more and therefore we're kind of seeing the good and the bad but a, a test quiz for you here Max something that I found going through Sure. thinking about how bad he has shot the ball um, and then you know Saric being pretty streaky and, and Baines obviously being outstanding Frank, Saric, and Baines together straight on from three. If I said that they've shot 54 as a combo, how many would you say or what percentage would you say that they're hitting from straight on from three at the moment? Okay, so by from straight on, you mean above the break, not corners. Uh, and not on the wings, like literally like the six. Oh, literally straight yeah, on. literally straight on. Okay. Oh, uh, wow. I would say they're shooting... I mean, they're shooting pretty damn well. I'd say they're shooting 40%. Those three have hit 27 of 54, 50%. Wow. From straight on. And it's not all one either. Like, it's a pretty shared distribution between the three of them. Uh, I posted Saric and Frank's shot chart uh, earlier on Twitter, which you probably missed. Um, But they've both got some really bad spots on the floor that they're missing from at the moment but all three of those guys and particularly with the way that this offense is being run it's been really really nice that they're hitting their shots from up there yeah that's wild i don't think it's going to continue at uh, you know quite that clip but it's going to continue to a certain clip the guys can shoot mm-hmm. um and i think to your point earlier about how do you get a you know, minute allocations here bane's going to play no matter what but i do think once ayton comes back it's going to be kind of like a hot hand between frank dario and maybe cam johnson 100% like, I, yeah that's what it's going to be and dario will probably start um, and then we'll just see where it goes from there and you know maybe eventually frank starts or cam starts we'll see how it goes throughout the season as we've said uh, monty's not going to be shy to pull the trigger yep but uh it'll be interesting to see how that unfolds i'm i'm happy with frank right now overall i mean he's way exceeding our expectations from preseason for sure yep so, uh, you know, we'll see how it keeps going. Hope it keeps playing this way. It's encouraging. Should we move on to somebody whose play has maybe been a little bit less encouraging, David Tyler Johnson? Sure. Yeah, I'll start off as the, the chief of the Tyler Johnson hive. Yes. Uh, my, my excuse for him, is I think he was getting into a bit of a groove as the shooting guard spark plug for this team and then the, the rotation change, which we've mentioned already with Carter going out and therefore he had to move more to an on-ball backup point guard type role and... Uh, I think he can do both pretty, you know, steadily, but I think the backup shooting guard role is probably um, better for him. I don't I don't think you would disagree with that. And just the changes kind of thrown him off what was appeared to be an early groove. And, you know, you mentioned it before, they're thin at guard, particularly if someone goes down. So we kind of need him playing well. He's only playing 18.8 minutes at the moment. 
Um, and, you know, he's kind of super important, at least the way that the roster currently looks. So uh, I think he should play more, again, confidence, get him a little bit more, get him the ball in the situations that we were seeing him early on in the season, uh, even if he is playing that pseudo backup point guard role. Like, try and get him a couple of early looks. You know, he was coming off curls and, and hitting elbow jumpers really well early in the season. Uh, just kind of get him that groove, because I think we've been a little bit unfair on him in the rotation so far, Max. No, yeah, I'm with you. And I listen, he hasn't been terrible, especially not on the season. The past couple of games has been pretty damn bad. Yep. But he has, he's had some moments. He really came in and hit some big shots. I think the Philly game was one he hit some big shots in. Uh, Sacramento, he was part of the reason why they went on a run, I remember. So he has definitely had his moments. He has not been a really bad player. And I agree with you. He made he was definitely feeling himself more as the backup shooting guard than the backup uh, than the backup point guard. Yeah, that's not been good for him lately. And I think the worst lineups the Suns have had over the past few games have been the lineups with Tyler out there without Booker or Rubio. Those lineups have been tough. Agreed. Um, so I think it's going to really help when Monty gets a guy like Ty Jerome back in. Hopefully he's you know good as a rookie uh, to just be a more of a natural point guard and maybe have those two play together a little bit. Uh, we'll see how it goes. Maybe that won't work, but. I, I still think Tyler is incredibly important to this team, as you said, as if, if nothing else is like a depth guard piece because they don't have a lot of those. Mm-hmm. And I expect him to come in. Here's the thing about Tyler Johnson. I would just like Monty Williams to have somebody to go to when Tyler's off because it, it, it becomes pretty apparent pretty early when Tyler's not playing well. Um, so it would be nice to have somebody that, you know, it could be Ty Drome or whoever else. Where if Tyler's off on a night, you can play five minutes and that's it and you're fine. If Tyler comes in makes his first shot, he's looking good. You, you have him out there a little bit longer. I'm totally with you. I mean, obviously, he's overpaid in the one-year, $18 million deal, but he is giving us way more than Ryan Anderson ever would have, and there's really no reason to be upset about the fact that Tyler Johnson's on the team. Yep, played some great defense on Trey last night when they needed to really ramp things up, which is his big calling card. And yeah, I agree. I think when we looked at the depth chart at the start of the season, we just thought, you know, a, a backup shooting guard, you know, or a backup to the backup at shooting guard, just for those nights, as you said, uh, where things aren't going too well. Maybe that's where Carter sees his minutes occasionally, and as you said, maybe that's where Ty Jerome sees some of his minutes, either with Tyler or without Tyler. But we can uh, move on from Tyler Johnson, I think now, Max. Let's do move on from Tyler Johnson. Uh, Dario Saric. He has been, as I mentioned earlier, kind of like. A whipping boy for the Suns fans to a certain extent. Yep. I'm not sure why, but because he remembers them of Dragon Bender. That's what I think it probably is. They think he's Dragon Bender. Uh, Darius Arch is definitely a lot better than that. In the last few games, David, you had him ranked as your third star player, so why don't you talk about him? Yeah, I just think he's been flying under the radar a little bit. He's getting better each game. Uh, a guy who doesn't have a lot run for him, so they're the guys that, you know, it's going to take him a little bit of time to get acclimatized. You know, I was talking to a Sixers fan on Twitter earlier today who, you know, loved his time with Dario on the team. We were kind of just talking about how, you know, confident Dario is probably one of my favorite players in the league and and non-confident Dario would be one of my least favorite players in the league. And mm. that that part of it is is kind of similar to Dragon Bender in terms of like the things that I love watching in players. Uh, but as you said, he is a hell of a lot better than Bender. Uh, one thing, you know, good defense, post-defense and his rotations, I think have been unheralded. They're things yeah. that, you know, the general fan base doesn't look out for um, a hell of a lot. And, you know, similar stats to previous seasons, but he appears to be a lot happier. I, I caught a tweet, apparently he was on the radio after the Atlanta game, just talking, you know, really, really highly of the Suns franchise and the front office. Obviously, he's in a contract year, so you're going to say those kind of things. But, 
you know, it, it just surprised me that his stats aren't all that different. We thought in the preseason, you know, he was unhappy because uh, he wasn't being used enough and they're kind of using him just as much. Um, but, you know, he seems to be happier. Shooting 40% from three at the moment, which is really, really crucial to this team. Like Frank, he's got his spots. Like the right wing, he's two of 12. Left corner, he's one of five. And then everywhere else, he's 17 of 33 for 51%. So, you know, and I think when I looked at Frank, he was like four of 27 from the wings, but then really good from straight on, as we mentioned before. So, you know, this is that's up to the team. Got to get them the looks in their spots, uh, particularly if they don't like it in certain places. But, you know, overall, his line's really solid. He's just that kind of starting power forward, as we mentioned, with the amount of talent on this team that just does all the little things and can be a, a little bit of a glue guy on this team, I think, Max. Yeah, unheralded is a good way to put it. He's not getting a lot of credit even when he's good, but he's been, particularly in the last game, he was saving us for stretches uh, with some of his three-point shooting. Um, like you said, 40%. For him, and three-point shooting on offense is going to be the key the whole way around. Yeah. Although he does have some ability to drive a little bit and score, although it's one of those things, I think it's one of the reasons why people don't like him very much is because it's always ugly. So when he ugly drives and scores, it's like, oh, that was ugly. Oh, he scored okay, but it was ugly. And then when he ugly does it and then like, gets blocked or looks horrible, like it's like, oh, screw Dario. There was, you know, he doesn't get a whole lot of credit. <laughs> there was a perfect one of those last night uh, where Aaron Bain sealed off his man and just created, like it was like parting the Red Sea for Dario to drive. Mm-hmm. Uh, he made the bucket, and I saw a, a number of people on Twitter commenting, uh, you know, that he didn't dunk it. Like, can Dario even dunk oh, the ball? Yeah. Why didn't he dunk it? Et cetera, et cetera. So, yeah, I think you've, you've hit the nail on the head there. There's always going to be a complaint whether he finishes or not, just because it never looks overly graceful. I actually thought it was one of the more pretty ones. That was like the finger rollish kind of finish. Right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Because <laughs> he, he's uglier than that sometimes. So, uh, Dario's going to be a whipping boy all season, I think. But uh, on this podcast, you're appreciated, Dario. We like you around here. What do, what do you pay him, Max? Throw throw Sun's cap out. Throw the fact that everyone keeps saying that there's no good players in free agency and going to be all this money. Just from what we've seen of good Dario, what is that worth per year, do oh, you think? Oh, God. Here, you know what, David? I'm going to say, I just if we're going off right now what's going on, I don't think the Suns bring him back. And it's not totally because of him. It's largely because they're going to bring Frank back on that stupid five. I mean, it's five million. They're going to bring him back on that if he plays as well. Yeah. Uh, yep. Aaron Baines, they're not going to let him go if he's playing this way the whole season. There's no chance mm-hmm. they're going to bring him back. So, like, at some point, it's like, all right, how many of these guys are you going to bring back? They're probably going to want to make some other move. I just don't think they do it. Because also on Dario, you're not going to be able to get him on a short-term deal. He's a, a young guy uh, if he's playing well. So, I think they probably let him go. Also, Cam Johnson, if presumably, would take over that role a little bit. Yeah. So, on, in a vacuum, I think he's probably worth, you know, in that, you know, 8 to 10 range. But I just don't think the Suns are the team to bring him back. Do you think that's right or no? Yeah, I, I would, I'd go a bit more. I'd maybe go 10 to 12 okay. uh, for, for really good Dario, maybe even up to 14 when you throw some of those other variables like the market and stuff in. And yeah, that's why I threw the question at you because I think there's a ton of variables whether uh, they really like him or not uh, that it probably just wouldn't be a smart investment going forward. But that is a discussion for a very much later podcast, Max. Yeah, to be fair, if you're shooting 40%, I probably should have focused on that. That would change things. Uh, all right, let's go on to Mikel Bridges and Cam Johnson together. David, this is uh, kind of an interesting one. I'll start with sort of the fact that both these guys have had really bad on-off 
numbers. Mm-hmm. I think largely because you know the the units are playing in. I don't know if it's totally their fault. Yeah. Um, let's start with Mikel Bridges. You recently said that you would buy everybody's stock uh, <laughs> on Mikel Bridges. So listeners, if you're listening and have stock on Mikel Bridges, you don't want David will take it. All of it. Uh, why don't you give us a little bit of a summary on what you think about Mikel Bridges' performance? Yeah, I'm still I'm still riding it. I'm still predicting that he's going to come out. You know, even the three, I've said a few things, posted a few videos. I think he just needs to keep shooting it. Uh, he's got to make in every game where he shoots more than one three. So I just think it's a confidence thing. Um, you know, he's no Cam, who's currently shooting 41% as a rookie and just looks automatic, which is awesome. But I do think he's going to be better than the 23% that he's currently shooting right now. And I've noticed a couple of little tweaks to the shot that I'm kind of happy about. It looks a little less herky-jerky. But, you know, the observation on him right now, you know, we've seen it game to game. I think he's playing more when there's a wing or more dangerous wings on the opposition. And he's playing less when that's not the case. And, you know, Cam's essentially taken his spot in the rotation. I think if you look at overall... Mikhail's 19 minutes to Cam 16 per game. Then you go last five and they even up. Mikhail's about 20, Cam's about 19. You go last three games, Mikhail's 18 and Cam Johnson is 22. So again, going off that Monty point of uh, not being too rigid with his rotations, I think right now Cam Johnson's playing better. Uh, But I will say I like them together uh, and I even like them together with Kelly Oubre long-term as well, Max. So my point there is I think we get too bogged down in creating these competitions instead of looking at the possible strengths of all these guys being on the team together rather than one having to replace the other, Max. Yeah, your idea on Twitter last night of a Booker, Aiton lineup with those three wings, Mikel, Cam, and uh, Oubre was yep. enticing, David. I would like to see that happen. That would be really fun. Particularly if they're all hitting, you know, at least 32 33% from three. I think Oubre's hovering around 33 at the moment. Uh, hopefully, Mikel can get up north of 30 and, and Cam's been awesome. So that lineup's just got everything. You know, like Booker's the star. Uh, you've got Aiton as the big guy. And as we've said with Aiton pretty much since the Suns drafted him. Like, drafting him at number one should be because you can put him out there as the anchor to the defense with lots of smaller guys and not be too worried about, you know, overall defense, rim protection, and even rebounding with with playing three wings or even four wings if you count Devin Booker. So, yeah, I've got to see that at some point. I think that's a fun lineup that we can look forward to in the future, Max. You would need to see somebody like Mikel or even Aiton, uh, maybe even Cam, improve the playmaking a little bit because that would be a lot on Booker yes. in terms of running the offense. But, yeah, I think that, you know, there are a lot of young players in that lineup. If a lot of them sort of improve as playmakers and, and ball movers, that lineup could be pretty nasty. But uh, you focus on Mikel. I'll focus on Cam. Uh, real quick, I'll just say I agree with you mostly on Mikel. I'm, I'm a little more nervous than you just because – I hate when players are scared to shoot, and uh, Mikel seems a little scared to shoot. I like seeing that shot go down against the land in the first quarter last night, but yeah. man, his, as we talked about in Twitter, his three-pointers uh, attempts have gone down from last year, and that scares me a little bit. Uh, Cam, man, so <laughs> the thing about Cam Johnson, David, there are guys who can shoot. There are guys who learn how to shoot and become reasonable three-point shooters, and there are some guys who are just born able to shoot, and it's not a problem. Yeah. And they're just gonna shoot. And and Cam Johnson is definitely the latter of those two things. That guy is he every single shot he puts up is gorgeous looking, and he thinks it's going in, and I think it's going in, <laughs> David. And that's a really important thing in a player. Like you just, 
It's you watch him shoot, and you just know he's going to be a great shooter, David. There's just no doubt about yeah, it. Beautiful misses, I like to say. You know, it, yes, <laughs> you, you, he puts it up, and you, you never think it's missing. And then even when it does, you're like, God, that was a beautiful shot. Like that. That's what it is with him. Which you know, grouping these two guys together, Mikel has a lot of ugly misses right now. Has a lot of beautiful makes, like that one you mentioned against Atlanta. But mm-hmm. yeah, that's the difference in their two strokes right now. And uh, Cam is just going to be that guy and it's going to be all about what he can add on top of that to justify taking him where they did although if he's you know 41% on 8.13s a game per 36 at the moment that in itself might be valuable enough in this draft yeah, as a six, as a 6 foot 9 guy right yeah <laughs> yeah but i just wanted to touch you know he does have a chance to to add those little things and he's not so far been too much of a liability on defense, you know, they're going to pick on him a little bit more as he plays more, I'm sure. And it'll be good to see how he responds to that. But, you know, I talked about this quite a lot in development podcasts that we have, just having an NBA ready skill that gets you on the floor, which then gives you the reps to improve other things is just so crucial in this league as a young guy, Max. Yeah, no, absolutely. I, I want to uh, take a shot at all the value people out there on Cam Johnson. Uh, (laughs) Listen, if you can get a guy who's a stretch big uh, with Cam Johnson's apparent shooting prowess, I'm assuming that's who he is, is kind of what we've seen in the last couple of games, which is sort of fair to assume considering, you know, he's still a rookie. He could be a lot better this even. Yep. Like, that's a good pick at the draft spot they got him at, uh, number 11. And I I think the whole value conversation is so stupid. Like, maybe the Suns were right that Cam Johnson would have gotten taken number 15. Uh, I just I hate it. I think it's dumb. I think we even said this at the time. Like we didn't agree with necessarily who they picked. And by the way, Brandon Clark looks pretty good. I'm just gonna say that. <laughs> uh, Cam Johnson was not a bad pick if he if he's what he is right now at all. Like, I think once you get past the top seven or eight, it's just it's kind of a crapshoot anyway. Take whoever the hell you want at that point because that's it's kind of how the NBA draft works. But uh, David, are we ready to move on to Did You Know? Let's do it, Max. After a pretty surprising 7-4 and four start for our beloved Suns, you know I had to look back through the archives for how it compares to recent Suns teams. So did you know it has been some time since the Phoenix Suns were 7-4 and four through 11 games? In fact, going to throw an impossible early test <laughs> your way, Max. What season do you think the Suns last had the exact record of 7-4 and four at this point of the season? God, that could not be a meaner question, David. <laughs> um, they started kind of slow, but were pretty good in 2009-10, I'll say that. Ooh, you're, you're about a decade off. Mm. It was 99-2000 where the Suns opened up with an OT loss to Denver 102-107. Weirdly, they followed that up with a four-game win streak, Philly, the Spurs, Chicago, and the New Jersey Nets. Then a three-game losing streak, Milwaukee, Minnesota, and the Lakers. And then three more wins over Chicago, the Knicks and Seattle to get to seven and four at the 11 game mark. In fact, those two wins actually formed the start of a seven game winning streak, ending with a double OT. 128-122 win over the Houston Rockets and therefore an 11-4 record before dropping their next game to the exact same team, the Houston Rockets. Max, fingers crossed the Suns can get to 11-4 and before another loss. That would make our next podcast very fun, I'm sure. Mm-hmm. But it might be a good omen because this Suns team ended 53-29, and making the playoffs and even winning a first-round playoff matchup over the Spurs. Max, next bunch of questions for you now, and then I promise I'll lay off you a little bit. Let's take a look at the 99-2000 Suns team. Question one, for 10 points, 
if you can tell me who the lead assist guy was on that team with 10.1 per game. Uh, was Jason Kidd still around? He was, right? 10 points for you. Played 67 games that season and was the most assists on the team. For 100 points, question two, if you can tell me who top scored for that team with 18.5 points per game. Uh, my turlin- McDice? It was Cliff Robinson who shot 46% mm-hmm. from the four and 37% from three on 4.1 attempts, which I thought was quite surprising. Now, for 1,000 points, if you can tell me who the top rebounder on that squad was. This is for 1,000 points, so it basically means there's a chance I get it. <laughs> I don't know, David, who was it? It was Tom Gugliotta with 7.9 <laughs> a game. And this one, for all redemption, question four is worth a million points, Max. If you can tell me who started the most games for this team in 99 with 68 starts, and I'll give you a clue, it was at center. Oh, God. Um, I don't know, David, who was it? It was none other than Luke Longley, who averaged 6.3 points. Your guy. My guy, 4.5 boards, (laughs) and shot a woeful 46% from the field that year. Funnily enough, Max, this team appeared to have an exorbitant amount of starters for the year. 14 players started at some point in the season, including Sean Marion, who was drafted that year, Oliver Miller, who was signed that year in free agency, and Anthony Hardaway, who was traded for that year. But Max, perhaps the biggest story from that season, and definitely more odd than the 14 players starting, was Danny Ainge quitting the head coach job just after their hot start and a record of 13-7. and Ainge cited his family as the reason for the move, with a quote at the time saying, Some of you may think I'm jumping ship, I don't believe I'm jumping ship. I'm diving overboard to save my family. Scott Skiles took over and went 40 and 22 himself to keep the season going in the right direction. But Max, I think we are hopefully safe from any similar move from Monty at this point in the season this time around. Now, as I said before, Phoenix made the second round of the playoffs after their 7-4 start. But Max... Want to take a stab at how many times the Suns have gone better than 7-4 and four to start 11 games in the 20 seasons between that 99 season and where we are right now? Oh, wow. Interesting. So, obviously, they did it quite a few times in the 20, 2000 and then not as many times later. I'd say 8. It was just 5. Wow. Believe it or not. Slow starts, maybe. Firstly, the following year, Phoenix started 8-3 and three under Skiles, won 51 games and lost in the first round. Fast forward to 04-05, and you get 9-2 and two under D'Antoni, 62 wins and a conference finals appearance. Then a three-year streak from 07 to 2010, where the Suns went 9-2, and 8-3, and, and 9-2, and two, respectively, on their way to 55, 46, and 54 wins. Dan Tony, Terry Porter, and Alvin Gentry were all coaches in that span, and the Suns missed the playoffs just on one occasion. So, Max, with all that in mind, and to finish things off for Did You Know this week, before we take a look at how the West is shaping up for the P word that I'm still struggling to say with the Suns, I've got one question for you and the listeners to ponder while they're listening along as well. I believe you predicted 35 wins before the season started. Do you want to change your mind on that prediction total yet? I do. You want me to give a revised prediction on the spot? I'm ready to change mine. I'm going to go 500. So what do you think? Oh, man. Put me on the spot. I 
I think I mean I think they're going to be a little bit above it. I think they're going to win forty three games, David. Ooh, all right, that's it for this week. So uh, perfect timing for us to take that increased optimism and look at the playoff race in the West, Max. That it is, David. That was fun. I can't believe. So we're actually experiencing one of the better sun starts in a while, which is nuts. It really is. And it often means playoffs. So let's get into it. It often does. So let's look at the West playoff race. So we have, we'll start with the locks. Well, then we'll go to like the no chancers. And then we'll go to the contenders of which one is our Phoenix Suns. Mm -hmm. Uh, The locks, David, you posted on Twitter uh, a little earlier this week. And I agree with you. You had the LA teams, Houston Denver and Utah. Yep. I'm going to ask you real quick, which one of you, those you think you called them locks. So obviously you think none of them are likely to fall, but what is the most likely to fall of those five? Yeah, it doesn't look that way right now in the standings, but it did the other day and it just kind of felt right to tweet that. Cause I, I definitely think they're the locks. I think they're all pretty much locks outside of injuries. And surprisingly, I'd go the two at the top. I'd go the Lakers and Houston, just cause I think they're the most, vulnerable in terms of one of their star guys or their one star guy going down. I think it's going to affect those teams the most, Max, and that's why I would actually say the Lakers in Houston to answer that question. Yeah, I actually totally agree with you, and I think I would pick the Lakers, honestly, which sounds insane because how good they've been. Yep. But, you know, like the Clippers aren't getting vulnerable to not making the playoffs almost. Uh, Nuggets and Jazz kind of somewhere, so, so good. And then obviously, uh, yeah, the Lakers, uh, Davis or LeBron would be really bad for them. Uh, let's go to the bottom. You had the Pelicans, the Grizzlies, the Warriors, and the uh, Thunder. Is that right? It is right. That's the, the four that come up at the bottom. Not again at the moment, but did at the time when I took that little snapshot uh, you know, the thing about those top teams is they're all crushing teams at home. The thing about all these bottom teams is they're all pretty poor uh, away from home at the moment. Um, and Golden State in particular, I think, is 2-9 and nine in conference play against the rest of the West. So everyone's getting their revenge on Golden State this year, Max. But uh, what do you think? Because there is one team for me in this that could push up to the, the bubble teams, but... You know, what do you think about any of these four potentially making a run? Uh, it is still early in the season, so you, you never know. Yeah, I think we probably all have the same one. Everybody listening who follows this has the same one. It's definitely the Pelicans. Yeah. Uh, they got off to a very bad start, but, you know, everyone and their mother knows that Zion Williamson is going to return for them at some point. Uh, they got a nice win also against the Clippers last night. Uh, with Drew Holiday, your guy, showing up. So maybe that's going to get them on a little bit of spark. Maybe they can get closer. To- and favors. And favors. Yeah, yeah. He was out for a while. You're right. So maybe they get closer to 500, you know, at least a little more respectable by the time Zion comes back. And uh, if Zion looks anything like Zion looked in the preseason, David, then the Pelicans may have a chance to make a run. Yeah, their defense is woeful at the moment. I think 122.8 hmm. points per game the opposition is scoring on them. So, yeah, I guess much like the Suns, who have adjusted better, obviously, they they uh, that late news of Zion going out um, has really thrown them off a groove. And, and the guys that you thought they could count on uh, were pretty poor to start the season, even though they maybe appear to be getting better now. And, you know, I'll say that's probably a reason why they're still in the bottom is that the fact that their defense is bad, it's not a good sign because Gentry's not known as a defensive coach, and Zion's, as a rookie, probably not going to be the most consistent mm. defensive player. So there's not a whole lot of reason to think that'll get better. So I think there's a reason why we expect them to be in the bottom, David. 
Yep, let's move on to the bubble teams, though, because that's where the real interesting conversation's going on, Max. Uh, and that's where everybody who listens to this podcast wants us to talk about. <laughs> so we, got, we have the Phoenix Suns, David. We have the Minnesota Timberwolves. We have the Dallas Mavericks, the San Antonio Spurs, the Sacramento Kings, and the Portland Trailblazers. Do you see... Uh, let's start here. Do you see any kind of delineation between those teams like within their own tier? Uh, not really. And that's why I think it's really interesting at the moment that they're all bubbled up together. The, the thing that I'm really, I guess, focused on as a Phoenix fan right now is like what needs to happen with these teams or what do we want to happen with these teams uh, that benefits Phoenix. And I think, you know, we are still early on in the season and I think they're probably going to be the types of things and Luck's going to have a massive play uh, part to play in that um, that maybe start to separate this group so yeah I don't know what thoughts you have on that but um, yeah I think you look at Minnesota cat cooling off and, and this Wiggins spurt not being real would probably be good for the Phoenix Suns uh, Dallas not making a trade and, and Porzingis can you know continuing to be bad I think he's shooting 40% from the field at the moment uh, the Spurs, there's little rumors and murmurs that they might trade DeRozan, which I think long-term would be a really good move, but would probably hurt them a little bit short-term to go all-in on that youth that they have. Uh, Sacramento, you want them to keep struggling with Fox out, which currently they're not doing. Uh, and Portland, which you sneakily threw in earlier in the episode, just signed Mallow. So uh, the effect that he's had on teams in his later years in the NBA is probably exactly what you want it to, to happen for Phoenix's playoff chances here, Max. Yeah, so I kind of do see a little delineation. That's why I threw that question out at you. All right, all right, let's do it. Well, I agree that these are the contenders. I do think Sacramento and Portland are kind of clearly to me the least likely to make the playoffs of this group. Mm-hmm. Uh, Sacramento, just because they got to try without De'Aaron Fox for a while. They've already been without Bagley. It just kind of feels like the season from hell for them. Uh, you know, maybe they rally. Maybe Bogdan Bogdanovich goes nuts. You know, I, I don't know. Maybe maybe something happens. But uh, it's Bogdan, right? I don't want to screw up the, uh, the pronunciation of Eastern <laughs> Europeans. <laughs> yeah, you're right on that. Uh, and Portland, I mean, they're already panic trading. I, I don't think it's actually, or not, sorry, panic signing with Kermit Anthony. <laughs> yes. I, I don't want to hate on it too much just because, like, they don't have anything else. They're signing him over Hazonia, so why the hell not? Mm-hmm. But it, it's really just more of a sign of how bad they are right now that they're, they view that as a possible Hail Mary. Like, it's not good in Portland, guys. Portland... If they suffer one injury to McCollum or Lillard, the season's over. It's just done. McCollum's not playing well, very, you know, either. Really, no. they're really only afloat because Lillard has just been out of, you know, out of this world, and and no one else is really giving anything right now. So yeah, in terms of vulnerability, you've hit the nail on the head. You know, any kind of missed game time from Lillard, and and they're just going to pile up the losses. It'll be over for them. And uh, I don't know if you've seen this yet, David. I have the the scoreboard up. San Antonio lost to Orlando just now. Ooh. Uh, they're now five and seven on the season. They had a kind of a hot start, which I think has covered up the fact that they've kind of been mediocre and they've been losing a lot of games lately. Yep. I do think San Antonio, you got to give them the credit for being in San Antonio. As you mentioned, the, the Rosen trade could be something that happens for them because I don't think they're going to want to resign him. And he may actually opt out uh, because, you know, how bad free agency is next year. Yeah. Um, so that's a sneaky team that may just, maybe not really tank, but just play the young guys and just kind of, you know, go that route. So I really view, you know, kind of a Sacramento-Portland bottom tier, you know, mini tier, a San Antonio middle tier, and I think Phoenix, Minnesota, and Dallas are kind of the the top tier of this. Let me throw this at you then, because I think it's awesome that we've uh, mentioned the Spurs in Portland a lot, because my question is, who's most likely to be a lock 
come Christmas time and, and I guess make themselves a sixth team with those top five that we mentioned before. In years past, we probably by default would have gone with the Spurs or Portland just because of what they are as franchises. But I think you're right. They're not going to be in this conversation. And it probably is one of Phoenix, Minnesota or Dallas. So if you had to put your house on it, Max, which one would you choose? Such a good question. Honestly, like I have to really think about this because all three of them, I see arguments for all of them. I see the Aiton comes back and Phoenix just looks ridiculous argument. Yep. I see the Wiggins keeps doing what he's doing and, you know, Cat's Cat and Minnesota argument. And then I see the Doncic with Porzingis, you know, actually getting his crap together argument. Yep, yep. Man, it's it's really, really hard, David. I think I'd go with Minnesota, actually. I buy the Wiggins thing. As this is a Wiggins hater talking. I buy kind of what he's doing. It seems like the uh, Ryan Saunders system's really benefited him. And then I just think... Cat's probably the best player on any of these teams. You know, Booker and Doncic, you know, I'm sorry to you guys. I just think he probably is the most established, the most used to winning, and he's been in the playoffs. But, man, what do you think, Dave? That's a really good question. I actually think it's Phoenix. I'm not really um, confident saying it given our our past and, and, you know, not wanting to jinx things. But I kind of look at it very logically. They're all in the same group at the moment. They've all got pretty much the same record and if you look at the numbers are all you know doing very similar things i kind of look at those swing assets or those you know things that need to happen for for them to i guess go up a notch and as we've discussed it's it's wiggins maintaining what he's doing it's Porzingis not maintaining what he's currently doing and it's ayton coming back for phoenix and you know if you order those in the ones that you're most confident in Aiton coming back. Aiton is coming back, yeah. and I, I'm pretty sure I I know what he's gonna do, if not better. And I'm probably underselling him. And if I compare that to you know banking on Wiggins with his five years in the NBA, uh, or trusting uh, a Porzingis who's you know looking scratchy, and and guys typically take a long, long time, if not a whole season, coming back from those types of injuries. You know, I, I'm not confident in any of them, but if I have to pick one, I think it's Phoenix. Yeah, no, I think that make, you make a great argument, and I'm sure most of the NBA, you know, mainstream media would pick Dallas of that question. Yeah. So it's really interesting. I think, I think ultimately, if I'm predicting what's actually going to happen, I think none of the three establish themselves as locks, but all three of them make the playoffs, David. I'm going to go ahead and say that right. I think Phoenix makes the playoffs, probably as the eighth seed. I, I kind of see your five locks, the LA, LA, Houston, Denver, Utah, yeah. uh, as being the, the top five, and then in, in some order, Phoenix, Minnesota, and Dallas as the, you know, the bottom three seeds. Um, I would love to say Phoenix gets the sixth seed because I think the sixth seed will avoid the LA team. <laughs> Probably. Well, maybe not. You know, I think the Clippers, maybe not. Um, I, I, so let me ask you this, David. Uh, this look at, wait, round. before you do, look at us trying to avoid first round playoff matchups. I know. <laughs> <laughs> it's amazing, isn't it? We were, I was hoping for the number one seed in the lottery uh, the last couple of seasons. Unbelievable. But uh, I want to ask you this, David. We're gonna get way the hell. Ahead. We're gonna we're gonna so far ahead of ourselves. Insane. Which of those five locks, the LA teams, Houston, Denver, Utah, would you want to play in the first round of the playoffs? Ooh, I love it. I love it. Uh, I very easily and quickly go to Utah. Interesting. I have a different team. So you say why Utah first? I'll give you mine. I just think you know star power. I hate star power in the playoffs. Rotations shrink. Um, you know, guys get calls. You know, stars generally rise to the occasion. So, you know, I'm going to be scared of Harden, LeBron, Anthony Davis, you know, even Jokic. 
uh, and Paul George and Kawhi. Uh, and, uh, you know, it's it's not an easy pick out of all five teams, but I, I'm just going to go with Utah because I think you can um, manipulate them a little bit. And I saw my national team uh, manipulate particularly Ruby Rudy Gobert uh, in the World Cup. So I, I do believe there's things that you can do to make their top guys less effective in the playoffs. Yeah, you know, especially with the shooting that some of our top guys, uh, big guys have, it could be interesting in that matchup. I had Denver just because I saw Denver last season and, and I thought they were kind of embarrassing in the playoffs. Yeah. Um, but yeah, no, I see your argument for Utah. I think it's clearly one of those two, right? It's not the LA teams or Houston. That's <laughs> not what you want to see. Interestingly with the two, Utah is six and zip at home. So that's not great for a seven game playoff series where you don't have home court. Hmm. Uh, and surprisingly small sample size, but Denver are four and one away from home at the moment, which wouldn't be great for playoff time either. So, um, the Clippers are one and four away. So maybe that's who we should be choosing. Yeah. Well, the Clippers also haven't had a single game with Paul George and Kawhi Leonard yet. So I'm not, I'm not picking them real quick, but, uh, just to finish Max, uh, speaking of jumping far too ahead, I, I've had a lot of people tweeting at me on like, you know, Phoenix lost tonight and such and such one or vice versa. And, you know, I'm just not going to care about individual night wins and losses with a lot of these teams, at least just yet. But shout out to our good friend, Chris Koffel, who pointed out before January one, we play at Sacramento at Minnesota versus Dallas versus Minnesota versus the Spurs versus Portland at Sacramento and at Portland. So that's eight games before the new year even kicks in, Max, against these bubble teams that we're in the same group with. And they become those, you know, double points types uh, games against the, the teams that you can, you're competing with because a, a win to you and a loss to their column, uh, it, it is a double double win. This will probably come back to bite me, but give me all the Sacramento and Portland games, please. Give me all of them right now. <laughs> this stretch. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah. Last thing I want to I want to point out is because you brought up the, the potential series. Uh, could you imagine the grudge match and the grudge war on Twitter if the Utah and the Phoenix Suns match up in the first round? It would really, you know, it would at least. Uh, decide everything for 12 months until something else happens again. <laughs> like, that'll be the final thing. No matter how bad the numbers look for one or the other, it'd be like, yeah, but Phoenix beat Utah in a playoff series, so conversation over. Phoenix beating Utah in a playoff series in which Devin Booker dominates Donovan Mitchell would maybe be the end of it for me. I, just, I would just be done. That's, that's all I need. Uh, can can no one point out on Twitter or tweet at us about how negative we are after the last 10 minutes we've just had on this <laughs> podcast, Max? Because it's total BS. We're talking about first-round matchups in the playoffs. <laughs> <laughs> Unbelievable. But I, I think that's probably it, David. Are we ready for seven seconds or less? Yep, I believe it's my turn if you want to quickly run through the rules. Yes, seven seconds or less is the thing where one of us asks the other three questions for which the other only has seven seconds or less to answer and has not prepared. David, what you got for me? I have a wedding-themed seven seconds or less for you this week to commemorate oh. your celebration last week. So here it goes. Question one, if you could pick three past or present sons to be your groomsmen, who would you choose and which one would be your best man, Max? Oh, wow. Okay, well, Kelly Oubre is there just for the party. Uh, the party. <laughs> He's going to make you look bad, though. He's going to make you look bad. Nah, it's fine. He'll be the fun guy. He'll 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 put himself down to make me look better. It'll be great. I'm not worried about it. Uh, you got to bring Chuck. I mean, how fun is Chuck on a bachelor party and, and you know, all the groom's activities? You have to have Chuck. Love it. Love and it. then, you know, Steve Nash. Yeah, come on. That's, that's not without who I am. Oh, wait. I just have a time with Booker. Oh, God. He's too young. He's too young. Uh, best man out of those three? Oh, um, Chuck. Come on. Yeah, love it. 
All right, question two. Which past or present broadcaster, it can be sons or otherwise, would you pick to MC your wedding? I mean, I'd be thrown off the podcast if I didn't say Al McCoy, right? Yep. Yeah, that was an obvious one. I, I wondered whether you'd throw someone else at me that I hadn't thought of, but that that is a pretty obvious one, I think. Number three, the old wedding tradition is something old, something new, something borrowed, something blue, Max. If you had one move to make to upgrade this current Suns team, which one would you choose? Would you go something old, which is to grab a past Suns player and put him on this team? Would you go something new and fast forward a current Suns player to his full potential? Would you go something borrowed and trade for a player from another team? Or would you go something blue, which is fans being sad about DeAndre Ayton being out and automatically reinstate him for the next game? Max, what is your decision? Good, man. I get seven seconds for this? (laughs) Um... I guess I gotta go something borrowed and just grab Giannis, right? That seems like the <laughs> obvious answer. <laughs> yeah, yeah, fair enough. Fair I mean, enough. That's, that's the that's the easiest way to make us really good very fast. So I'll go with that. All right, uh, we can probably fit a package of Tyler Johnson's expiring and Frank and Dario and, and... whatever the hell else. We're wants. <laughs> exactly, exactly. But that's it, Max. Please, as always, everybody, rate, review, and subscribe. We really appreciate it. Follow me at MaxMCC11. Follow David at The Four Point Play. Those are Twitter handles, everybody. David, anything else? Uh, no new reviews, which is not surprising because we haven't podcasted for a bit. But if you like this one, feel free to join the 105 five-star reviews that we've got now, Max, which is really good. And shout out to, uh, you, if you're listening and gave us one star and added to our one star rating, shout out to you, whoever did that. But I did want to give a, a special mention to guys listening on YouTube. Dale, Chris, Devante, and Stephen T have all been checking out the pod on YouTube, which always surprises us, and even leaving comments on the episodes, which is cool to see, Max. Uh, Upcoming busy week, Boston, Sacramento, the Pelicans, and Minnesota. And thanks for everyone to coming back with us after our little break. Uh, And don't forget to send me your votes for week four. Please do. And if you need impetus to review us, please review us with your uh, quick summary of which first round matchup you want to see the Suns have and why. (laughs) Love it. We'll read them out next week. Thanks, everybody.